Good morning. Good morning. Uh, can you hear me all right? Is it working? <laughs> all right. So my name is Laura Witte. Um, most of you know me, I think, probably, yeah, the majority of you. Um, I am married to Justice, right over there, pastor here at Liberty. Woohoo! Uh, almost six years now, which is crazy. And I'm going to talk this morning to you about hospitality in the home and attitude adjustment. Um, I've been preparing for this for a while. However, I am not a pastor. And as many times as people have told me, read lots of books. Your vocabulary will grow. I know the same words. <laughs> so <laughs> I wish I could, you know, spout out some real big words in this presentation. And maybe the Holy Spirit will through me. Okay, just know that's if I say big words from him. Um, but in general, I do believe that I'm called here um, to share some things with you this morning, and so I look forward to that. Um, lastly, before I start, I'm going to be talking practically about how to show hospitality in the home, and sometimes that means that we're convicted about attitudes that maybe we have had toward hospitality or that we need to have, and that's okay, and I want us to just allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives um, and to reveal things to us that we potentially have known or maybe have not been aware of. Um, so as I walk through these things, um, I would ask that you be praying to the Holy Spirit that he would reveal to you um, things that you need to change um, and we need to change together to show hospitality in the home. I'm going to be going through the first three attitudes to drop. Three attitudes to drop as we seek to show hospitality in the home. And the first is idealism. Idealism is sim simply the pursuit of unrealistic goals. And I think in general, idealism can be a very good thing. Um, we're ambitious and we want to dream big. Um, and so I think in that sense, it is a good thing. But unfortunately, regarding hospitality, sometimes it is just uh, detrimental to hospitality in that we're pursuing things that are just unrealistic and not possible and really potentially not important to hospitality. Idealism is communicated through, number one, preparations. Now understand me in this. I am not saying you should never pre prepare for people coming over. You should never clean. You should never give them food. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that sometimes our preparations can cause undue stress um, and unnecessary um, hardship potentially for our family and for ourselves. It's unnecessary pressure that we put on ourselves to um, look or be a certain way. And uh, I'm going to show you a, a video here. And um, the premise is there's this fellow on YouTube who acts as certain people um, just to kind of show the exaggeration of situations. And in this video, he is acting as a mother, um, preparing... Um, for guests to come over, all right? So hopefully this doesn't resonate too well with you. If it does, maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you. All right. We have the volume up there, hopefully. <laughs> so maybe, unfortunately, some of you may look like that. I don't know if everyone's, any, you know, taking a vacuum and just, like, screamed, you know. But uh, that's a little scary, all right? So hopefully, maybe if you have kids in this sitting in the room, they're not like, yeah, that's mom. <laughs> All right, so 
basically, the premise is making sure that we don't cause any undue stress. Yes, it's good to vacuum. Yes, it's good to clean. Um, but if we are considering that more important than actually being with a person and focusing on that and preparing our heart to be with someone and to share the word of God with them and to encourage them and build them up, then um, it really is um, detrimental to hospitality. So we need to be aware of how we're preparing and if that's becoming a real focal point instead of um, the people that we're going to be seeing. Secondly, idealism is communicated through exclusivity. And what I mean by this is simply that we can become exclusive in the people that we invite over. We can decide that, oh, I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to you know, invite the same people that I normally have over, and then I've done it. I've been hospitable. And that's a great thing. You should definitely have friends over and people that you, you know, consistently invite over and share life with. But I don't think that the true meaning of hospitality is only inviting certain people or the ones you're familiar with or the ones that you're comfortable with. Um, we need to be able to go outside of our comfort zone and ask people that we may not know as well or may be potentially awkward with because we you know, have met them before, we're not, maybe they don't talk as much and we have to initiate, um, but we can definitely communicate idealism, like this pursuit of an unrealistic um, goal, by inviting only certain people over, so it's this perfect hospitality time. Um, those of you who have invited lots of people over know that hospitality isn't necessarily perfect, but it is beautiful, so we need to be careful that we're not being exclusive in that um, idealism, lastly, is communicated through naivete. And this is simply being unaware of the battlefield that we're stepping onto when we are hospitable. Um, the devil hates hospitality. He hates believers getting together to encourage each other, to build each other up, to strengthen the bond of love between them. He hates when we invite non-believers over to share the word and to share the love of Christ and to open our home and be vulnerable with those people. So if he hates all of that, then he will do what he can to keep you from being hospitable. And that may mean it's frustrations and preparations and the food gets burnt or it's super awkward and he's going to try to convince you that you don't want to do this hospitable thing again. Um, and so we need to be aware and not naive about what the devil is going to try to accomplish inside of your hospitality. We are fighting a battle in hospitality, and it may not feel like it because, you know, we're trying to prep everything and make it all, you know, look good and ready, and we're sitting down with people and we're loving people, but it is definitely a battle, battlefield, and we definitely need to be ready for the fight when it comes. I think sometimes we, you know, set up hospitality and we're with people, and then suddenly something goes wrong, and we're like, what is going on? But it's like the devil hates what we're doing. Like, we should expect strange things to happen. We should expect some things to go wrong. Um, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be beautiful, but it's not going to be perfect, and we need to be ready for that. Um, and I want to go back real quick to uh, preparations because I wanted to mention something else. I think that really in all of these, the idealism has been, it's, social media has painted a picture of what hospitality looks like. Um, I think of even like Chip and Joanna Gaines and, you know, how they put houses together and what it looks like. And we, so we have this exaggerated idea of hospitality. 
And there's nothing wrong, again, with doing DIY, do-it-yourself projects. There's nothing wrong with um, trying your best to make things look good. I mean, I, I have plans for this week. It's my spring break. I'm going to th make things look better. I'm going to buy some stuff. So there's nothing wrong with any of that. But we have to, again, be careful that we're not trying to pursue perfection above just presence with people. All right, on to the next one. The next attitude to drop is indifference. Indifference. I don't think this word is used a lot these days, but simply, it simply means a lack of care or concern. A lack of care or concern for someone. Indifference is conveyed by three different main things that I think the Lord has put on my heart, the first of which is our technology. And this one, when the Lord brought this to mind, I'm like, no, Lord, I don't want to talk about that because I'm not good at it. And the Lord was like, yeah, well, you know, you're convicted and you need to, you know, tell other people and change. So uh, I definitely know that God uses technology for his glory. I think it is an amazing tool that he has allowed us to use to proclaim the gospel. In a lot of instances, however, I do feel like it removes us from being present with people. And what I mean simply is that even I can do this and be at home and where it changed the globe, and if there's no one currently talking to me, and even if there's someone over there that maybe I could talk to, but I'm not currently engaged in something, my hand just slips into my pocket and I pull up my phone and I check Facebook, and I get on my mail, all these random things that I, like, I don't even need to do. I don't even sense a need. My hand just goes into my pocket and pulls it out. And unfortunately, we're becoming unaware of these things that potentially remove us from loving and engaging the people around us. I mean, even in the doctor's office and elevators, that's what we're doing. We're no longer wanting to engage the physical world outside of us and greet people. We're just on our phones. And I've noticed that recently when I went to the doctor's office a couple of months ago, I said, you know what, I'm not going to touch my phone in the elevator, I'm not going to touch my phone in the doctor's office, and it was awkward, but I greeted everyone, and I looked them all in their, their eyes, and I was like, how are you doing today? And we began conversing in the doctor's office, and it was just kind of refreshing when you get to actually talk to a human being. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just definitely convicted that I, I use my phone too often to potentially remove myself from the physical presence of someone else. Secondly, indifference is conveyed by our conversations. And what I mean by this is that we can use conversation to put the focus on us instead of on other people. There's a couple of different ways of doing that. I have one other video that I want to show you, and hopefully, again, this one does not necessarily resonate with you. <laughs> Hopefully, you haven't had too many conversations like this, but I think it's possible, as faulty human beings, that we tend to assume some things on the other person's part. This is just, you know, a comical video, but I think this actually does happen, and I think we can assume on people's conversations, on what they're going to say. I mean, even I've had conversations where I've been focused other places, and then I said yes, or, sh you know, shook my head, and then the person's like, what? And you're like, oh, no, what did they even say, you know? <laughs> That happens way too often. Um, or you don't understand what they're saying. That's a whole other story. But the same idea, you're just like, what did they say? Um, I also think that potentially we can show a lack of care and concern in our conversations through one-upping. 
And this one, um, I actually feel like happens a lot in our culture. Um, for example, if someone, if I were to go up to someone and they were asking me how I was doing and I mentioned that my dog had passed away, you know, a family dog that I'd known for a really long time, which is hard for me, and then they mentioned that their grandpa was in the hospital, it's hard because they asked you how, you know, they asked me how I was doing and I shared with them something that was hard for me and they shared something that was harder for them. And so, yes, like it is, it was a bummer, you know, it's a bummer that they're, their grandpa's in the hospital, and that's really sad, and that, like, is a hardship for them, but they didn't really, like, empathize with me, and they didn't, um, you know, mourn with me. They won up to my story. Maybe they didn't mean to, and they're just sharing something with their life, but we need to be careful in our conversations that we don't um, potentially, you know, name a hardship of ours when someone else is sharing, like, their heart. Um, that happens with celebration, too, or I'm sick, and they're always sicker, or I've, you know, I've done this and they've done it three times. And so it's like when you're sharing something with someone or listening to someone share to you, you know, try to be on their side and try to understand where they're coming from instead of making this conversation, again, centrally focused on you. The word says to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. But that's in what they're going through, not what you're going through at the time. And then lastly, indifference is conveyed by our prayer lives. And this one's not obvious to the people in the sense that someone may not know that I have a lack of care or concern for them because they don't see me praying, but outwardly it becomes evident because if I'm not praying for them and allowing God to saturate my heart with love for them, then it will show in my outward actions. I know going through Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, over the past semester, last semester with our life group, was so good and so convicting for me because really up until last year, I didn't have a consistent prayer life. And I was completely convicted and moved to make those prayer cards and to get up every morning and pray and pray and pray. But before then, I don't think that I really had any care or concern for you know, a lot of people in my life that outwardly I tried to show it, but it was harder to because I wasn't saturated with love for them in my heart because I wasn't praying for them. And so if you think about your prayer lives, we really do convey or show or display a, a lack of care or concern if we're not praying for the people around us or not praying for the opportunities to love them. Indifference, a lack of care or concern. Some of these things we're aware of when we show a lack of concern for somebody, and sometimes they see it outwardly, but sometimes we're completely unaware of what we're conveying to people. And so we need to be asking the Lord to help us become aware of the ways that we're just not showing concern for people. Jesus showed concern for everyone around him. That was his thing. (laughs) He made people matter. He showed them how much he loved them. You know, Pastor Braden yesterday was talking about you know, how people matter because they're made in the image of God. And we need to make sure that we are showing really the opposite of this. We are showing immense care and concern because people are made in God's image and they are valued. So we have three attitudes to drop. Idealism, uh, indifference, and then lastly, inflexibility. Inflexibility is simply an unwillingness to change. 
an unwillingness to change. And this is caused by a couple of different things. First is our schedules. Inflexibility caused by our schedules. We are a busy people. We have activities upon activities that we do. Um, we're in the middle of an activity checking our calendar to know which activity we're going to next and at what time. We are busy people, and there's nothing wrong with being busy unless we are so focused on our rigid schedule that we can't make time to show people love. And again, this is something we could potentially become unaware. We're unaware of because we're so focused on the things that our family has to do. And family is important, but we also want to convey even to our children that having people over and having our schedule kind of messed up and rearranged and our routines changed is a really beautiful thing when it's focused on other people. So our schedules, we may need to rearrange some things in order to provide opportunities for us to love people well. And flexibility is caused by our thinking. And flexibility is caused by our thinking. And really, um, Pastor Braden yesterday hit on it when he talked about consumerism, individualism, institutionalism. When, as an individual, we're thinking, oh, it, it's, a, you know, it's about me. And institutionalism, oh, the church should be doing hospi hospitality. I don't have to worry about that. Someone else will take care of it. Um, consumerism, well, I need to be served. It's about me, so why am I sharing, you know, showing hospitality when really people should be inviting me over? I think, unfortunately, that can make our way, make its way into our minds so that we're not inviting people over because we're not being invited over. And uh, that's a problem because Jesus sacrificed everything for us and laid his life down and didn't expect us, well, we weren't doing the same thing at that time. It wasn't like this, oh, they're loving me, so I'll love them. That's not how that works. That's not how the Christian life works. Jesus laid everything down, and so we are supposed to lay everything down for all of the, the people around us. We don't need to wait, and we shouldn't wait for other people to invite us over to show us love before we show them love. So a lot of our thinking needs to change. And lastly, inflexibility is caused by our beliefs. Our beliefs about people and about God. First, about people. And when we judge them and we, we disqualify them too early, and we say, oh, they've said no this many times, so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, they're awkward. I don't want to invite them over. I don't think they'll ever come to Christ, so I want to invite them over. When we're already disqualifying them, for the gospel, our beliefs about people, and then our beliefs about God. When we say, oh, you know, the person's really quiet and I have a hard time, you know, initiating or coming up with questions, we're saying that God's not able to put words in our mouth, right? When we, when we say that they'll never come to Christ, we're saying God doesn't have the power to change their hearts through me. And so when we think about our beliefs about people and our ability, we're really talking and, and thinking about those things about our own beliefs about what God is capable of. Jesus was completely flexible with his life. I'm sure that it, some, to some extent they had 
a schedule. Like the disciples were like, oh, we're going to go here, and then we're going to go here. It probably wasn't on a phone. But they had ideas of routines and things they were going to do with Jesus. But Jesus wasn't worried about that. He was worried about loving people. And so when people came up and touched him, he turned around. He didn't say, oh, I had a place to go. Right? He turned around and he loved people. I'm sure that there were so many times he did not get to eat his dinner. And let me tell you, more often than not, when Justice and I are sitting down to eat dinner, there's a call from someone and a need from someone. The mouth is watering, the food is hot, and is sitting there. And it is a challenge sometimes to say, you know what? People first, even over food. <laughs> but we need to realize that flexibility really does allow people to see that we love and care for them, that we're willing to give up anything else. And nothing really compares to just being with people and valuing them for who they are. So we've talked about the three attitudes to drop, idealism, indifference, and inflexibility. Let's talk about three attitudes to adopt. And this is when I do a little smiling because these are the things that the Lord wants us to show the people that we invite into our home. First is availability. Availability. Okay. This is not the whole, I'm single, I'm available type thing. That's not the idea. <laughs> so don't think that. <laughs> but availability is being there for someone. It's being present. It's being present. Availability is communicated through, number one, friendliness. I think we underestimate the power of friendship. We, over, we under, underestimate the power of being friendly, of a smile, of a handshake, of eye contact, of a laugh. But that is so important in hospitality for someone to know that they potentially enjoy your company. You enjoy their company. We're talking about fellowship here. We're talking about being able to engage in conversation and show interest in people. We should never underestimate the power of being friendly. It shows that we're present with someone when we're friendly with them. Availability is also communicated through reachability. After you become friends with someone and you have good conversation with them and you laugh and there's smiles and you're developing a relationship, are you then reachable to them? And I know that it can be scary giving out phone numbers and emails, but we're called to be available to people in their need for support from us. And so do you respond when people text you and email you and leave a voicemail? I'm not talking about in the next three seconds after they send it, because we can wait. We, we can wait a little bit. <laughs> Unfortunately, we live in a culture where people do expect like responses in minutes and I'm not saying that you need to do that but I am saying that people need to know that we will respond to them and that we do care enough about them to respond so how reachable are you have you opened up that that part of your heart that says you know what I mean it's easy at, at, at church to potentially say oh I'll, I'll hang out with this person at church but I'm not really interested in hanging out with them outside of church that doesn't really show availability. That doesn't show that you desire to be present with people and to love them as God has called us to. 
That's a good question. How reachable are you? Do people know that they can count on you and they will get a response from you? And lastly, availability is communicated through support. Do they know that you're going to be there for them? Do they know that you are willing to give advice? Do they know that even if potentially you don't agree with their lifestyle, you don't agree with some of their choices, that they care and they love you and they're going to be beside you, or gonna, you're going to be beside them walking them through different situations in their life. First year friends, that starts with smiles and handshakes and laughs. And then you begin to develop a relationship in that you're reachable. They can contact you and ask for help. They can be with you and they can sit with you. And they know that you'll care about them. And then support, they know that they're supported by you. That's what it means to be available to someone and to be present with them. Look with me at Ephesians 5, 16, 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Are we making the most of every opportunity to show people that we are available for them, we're available to support them, that we're reachable? Because we don't know how much time we have left and we don't know who else is reaching them. We don't know who else has begun a relationship with them. So if you have a relationship with someone, you need to be available to that person, making the most of every opportunity. The next attitude to adopt is attentiveness. Attentiveness. Attentiveness is simply a posture. It's a posture that involves a couple of different characteristics. Attentiveness is conveyed, one, by listening. By listening. We've talked a little bit about conversation already and how you can show a lack of care and concern in the way that you converse with someone. And so that's why listening is so important. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. In listening, the, the posture is important in that you give eye contact. You show them that you're listening by nodding your head <laughs> and maybe agreeing with them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Exactly. By being next to them, not talking many feet away, but being close to them. I think that we, again, underestimate the power of sitting and listening to someone. This world is too fast-paced for people to listen these days. And so when we, as believers, take time to sit down and give our full attention to someone it might wake up something in them that says, this person really cares about me. Why do they care about me? And then it allows the Lord to continue working in their heart. I know that I've had many conversations with people in which, you know, I'd look them in the eye and they would ask me how I was doing, but then their eyes would be darting this way and that way. And it's frustrating 
because they've asked me a question and I'm answering their question, but in their posture, they're showing that they don't really care about the answer. So in that case, if we're not willing to listen, we probably shouldn't ask the question. We need to be careful that we're listening well. We're being good listeners. It's something that we teach elementary school kids as they're coming up, just to listen, to stop and listen. But I think somewhere between elementary school and college, <laughs> we decide that listening is not as important, or that it's only important as a young kid when you tell them to not run out you know, in the middle of the street. But listening is an important, very important characteristic as a believer that we should have. Secondly, attentiveness is conveyed, conveyed by empathy. Now, my husband will tell you, and I will tell you, I am type A, and I am not super empathetic. I just have a very hard time, you know, putting myself in someone's shoes and saying, oh, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. As a teacher, you can't be sorry for everything that happens to every student. It's just impossible. And so I have learned and I've asked the Lord to help grow me in this area of empathy in which I am aware of the times where I need to be empathetic to students and times where I get to say, suck it up and deal with it. Because sometimes I work with middle and high schoolers. My tummy hurts. Deal with it. Go to the nurse. <laughs> and we as believers... We're really called to be empathetic. And this is something, again, that the Lord is just working on me. And I know that I am better at being empathetic with people than I was six years ago. I know that the Lord has worked on my heart and has allowed me to have patience, to sit and listen well, and then to also be empathetic. And empathetic or empathy is just simply putting yourself in someone's shoes. It's, it's understanding where they're coming from. Even if you don't agree with the choices they made, or even if you think, oh, they got themselves in this situation, all of that's staying in your mind, and what's coming out is, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know what that feels like, but that sounds like it would be a really difficult situation. And what's coming out is a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding. Empathy is important to show that we care and that we're attentive to their needs and attentive to their hearts. And lastly, attentiveness is conveyed by generosity. Everything that we have and have been given here on earth is not our own. We don't own anything here. Our money, our clothes, our houses, our things, our education, our opportunities, our effort, our abilities, our time are not our own. And so we are to be generous with the things that we've been given and steward them well. Even our time, even our attention, our full focus on someone, we need to be generous with everything that we have. And yes, sometimes that means inviting them to your refrigerator and saying, what do you want? You can have anything that I, I have. And, but sometimes that's easier just offering food as opposed to your time and your full attention and your money and your opportunities. But we're called to be good stewards of every single thing that we've been given. We are, to, we are called to accommodate and provide for the people around us. Very essential to hospitality. Attentiveness is conveyed by listening 
by empathy, and by generosity. Turn with me again to Ephesians. You should be there, so just flip a chapter over, a page over. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. 4, 1 to 3 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I urge you to, call, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Jesus gave everything, and so we are to give everything. The last attitude to adopt is authenticity. Authenticity simply is being real, sincere, genuine, those are typically synonyms of authenticity. And unfortunately, again, with social media and internet and just all kinds of media, we learn to put up this facade and to keep parts of us hidden from others but show all of the good stuff in our life. Instagram and Facebook. We share what we want to share so that people might be impressed, and then we keep other things hidden because we don't want them to see those parts of us. But as we build relationships and hospitality, we must be able to show more of ourselves, the person that God has made us. Authenticity is celebrated through commonality. Commonality. Having something in common with someone having conversations with them so that you find out you like the same movie, you're from the same school, you like the same hobbies, that you're sad over the same things, that you enjoy and are excited about the same things. Finding commonality with people. That's part of building a relationship with someone, building a friendship, finding things to talk about. I know that uh, in, when I did Praying Pelicans Missions, and I led trips uh, with Justice a couple of years ago. They had a, a training that was called the Conversation Tower. And you learned to picture certain things as you built this tower up. The first was a nameplate, and then at some point there was a baseball glove. And it, it's an idea that you have lots of things to talk to someone about to determine you know, what you have in common to learn more about them, their name and their family and what they like to do for fun and their goals and dreams and things like that. It is important to be able to find commonality. And that's when we reveal part of ourselves to them. And we're authentic in the things that potentially promote commonality. Secondly, authenticity is celebrated through vulnerability. And there's a big gap between commonality and vulnerability. I know that. There's a big span of time, a lot of trust in between those two. Because vulnerability is exposing your heart to someone. And there's levels of deepness in vulnerability. But at some point, as you're building relationships with people, you have to take a risk and share potentially part of yourself, part of your testimony, so that the Lord can use that to grow them. We're talking to believers and unbelievers alike. When you have those, the people that you know are believers into your life, you're sharing your testimony so that it builds them up and encourages them, and they can say, me too. You know, I struggle with the same thing. 
or I didn't know that you struggle. I've never seen this or understood this before, that you struggle with this. It's hard. It's a risk. But it's necessary as we show hospitality and we show that we're authentic and that we're not afraid to be who God has called us to be. And then in the same way as we show and expose part of our hearts to unbelievers, potentially God is using that to break down walls in their lives as they see who true believers really are because they may not know what a true believer looks like. Because sometimes people say they're Christian just because they believe that God's doing something somewhere. So unbelievers and believers alike need to see us as authentic and they need to see us expose and hear us expose our hearts to them. And lastly, authenticity is celebrated through discipleship. I think one of the pastors last night, I don't remember who, talked about missional living in hospitality and discipleship. Missional meaning you're pulling people into your home that don't know the Lord. And discipleship meaning you're continuing to live with them, continue with, I think Pastor Braden was talking about. Discipleship is following in someone's footsteps, allowing someone to come alongside you and sharing your life with them, which has lots of challenges as we saw last night. But it's what we're called to do. When Jesus walked from one town to another, the disciples, though they grumbled some, they just followed him. They learned from him. They watched him interact with people. They listened as he talked and gave advice and healed people. And so we have the opportunity to invite people into our homes to see how we interact with our spouse and how we discipline our kids and how we talk to each other and how we make God our focus. And that's part of vulnerability because it's a scary place if we're not you know, if we don't have our focus in the right places in those areas. But we're inviting someone to come alongside us and say, this is how I'm doing life. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to make God my number one. And if you want to join me, you're welcome to. I tend to think of discipleship as like a a dad is, you know, walking and he has big feet, right? And then a little kid's behind him trying to step in his big prints, And uh, it's quite a beautiful thing when we're discipling and mentoring people and showing them how we live life for the Lord and encouraging them and building them up and strengthening them to do the same so that they can eventually lead others to the Lord. Look with me at Matthew 5, 14 through 16. A couple of books back. Matthew 5. 14 to 16, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Authenticity is revealing who we are, and if we are about Jesus, that's what people will see. And that doesn't mean that every time you invite a non-believer in, 
you catch them at the doorstep and you like shove the gospel in their face. I'm not saying that. Yes, there are times to share the gospel as we're led by the Lord. Sometimes it's inviting them over and just spending time with them and loving them for who they are because maybe they think that you're just going to give them the gospel. And maybe they'll be surprised that you didn't talk about God on that first night that you had them over. And it makes them think, what, what was different? I thought, this is what Christians do. And it is, but we do it in different ways, and we do it by the leading of the Spirit. And there are times to do that, to give the gospel, and to jump right in, and there are times to wait. But, as we build relationships, and as we are revealing more of ourselves to people, our light will shine if we're about Jesus. And they will see that, and we'll see something is different, and hopefully, we'll be drawn to that. So moving into the how part, there's not an actual section for this on your sheet, but I'm sure you have lots of space in there. So how do we do this? I apologize that I didn't put it up on the screen, but the Holy Spirit, we have God living inside of us, and that is way number one. He can develop the fruits of the Spirit in our hearts, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He is able to make those, make our life characteristic of those. So one, the Holy Spirit enables us. We need to be asking as we invite people over, Holy Spirit, develop in me the fruits, your fruits, the fruits of the Spirit, so that I can better show love to the people that I'm going to be seeing. And a couple more things. One, your comfort zone is only as wide as your habits. Your comfort zone has a bunch of things in it that you're comfortable with because you've done them a lot of times. So really, the outside of your comfort zone is just stuff that you haven't done a lot. That's all it is. And so we need to practice doing those things that we haven't done a lot so that they become part of our comfort zone. Become part of things that we do every day, every time someone comes over, every time we engage in conversation with someone. So we need to step outside that comfort zone and say, you know what, I want to be more comfortable with asking good questions, asking leading questions with people, not just yes or no questions. So practice. Practice. It's the answer to almost anything. If we want to get good at a musical instrument, we practice. If we want to get good at sharing the gospel, we practice. So number one is basically practice. A busy life doesn't equal a busy heart. I borrowed this phrase from Paul Miller's book, The Praying Life, that I mentioned earlier. It can equal a busy heart, unfortunately. I think a busy life can equal a busy heart. But when our focus is solely on the Lord, in our individual relationship with him, when we are consistently in prayer and in his word, learning from him, growing, casting aside sin, and putting on our new selves, then even if our life is busy, our heart won't be, and our heart will be focused on making sure that we love and care for around us. Life together is life better. It sounds cheesy, but I think it worked. It's really true. We're not supposed to be lone Christians. We're called to be in community. And if we're in community, that's great, but we need to be looking outside and finding out who is not a part of community and bringing them in. Because if you're outside community... It's hard to just invite yourself in. And so we need to be doing that. We need to be 
inviting other people into our lives so they can be, become part of our community. Life together is life better. Let's make that true for everyone around us. Presence over perfection. Our lives are not going to look perfect. Our houses are not going to look perfect. Our meals are not going to look perfect. Our conversations are not going to look perfect. Maybe even our moods that day are not going to be perfect. But presence is more important than perfection. Being with someone, loving them, sitting with them, listening to them, valuing them is more important than perfection. I'm going to share with you a couple of quotes that resonated with me as I prepared for this. The first is by C.S. Lewis. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. We can't underestimate friendship and commonality and coming together and realizing we have a, a lot in common and we go through a lot of the same stuff. Struggles, and celebrations alike. Let's embrace that. The second quote is by Oprah Winfrey, and I am not saying I agree with everything she says. <laughs> however, however, God can use unbelievers, and he has chosen to through this quote. You never know. She says, I think that when you invite people to your home, you are inviting them to yourself. And I would go a step further and say, as believers, we're inviting people to Jesus. So what are they seeing? When we're inviting people to Jesus, what then are their beliefs about Jesus because of what they're seeing in our lives? When we invite people into our home, we're inviting them to Jesus. And then the last quote, uh, I couldn't determine who it was originally by, so I just put multiple. It's a great quote. People will forget what you said and did. Unfortunately, it's true. Just own it up. But they will never forget how you made them feel. And it's true in my life. I remember having conversations with people, but I don't remember what they said or what they did. But I remember that they made me feel loved, that they reminded me that I was valued, that I was listened to, that they showed an interest in me. People will never forget how you made them feel. Last words. A couple of Bible verses. 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. From 1 Peter 4, 8 and through 10, we have above all, Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The body of Christ is kind of weird sometimes. We all have different gifts and different abilities. And we're, we're kind of crazy people sometimes. But God uses each of us to impact the lives of the people around us. If only we would let ourselves be used by him. As faithful stewards of God's grace.
And lastly, Colossians 3, 12 through 14, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, as his chosen ones, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is really what it comes down to. Do we love the people around us? Because if we do, it's going to show. We're going to be available to them. We're going to be attentive to them. We're going to be authentic with them. We're not going to be inflexible or indifferent or idealistic about any of that. And that love first, we must love God first, right? There's this first and then this second. Let's pray and ask the Lord to make us more hospitable to the people around us. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to you thanking you for the opportunities that you give us every day with the people around us. God, we acknowledge that every person on this planet is made in your image and is therefore available to be a believer, has the potential to know you one day. God, thank you for giving us salvation, for being generous and being flexible with us when we weren't that way at all to you. Thank you for reaching out to us when we were running away. God, I ask that we would incarnate that in our hospitality, that those who may not even like us, <laughs> that we would reach out our hand and we would invite them into our home and we would show them love, your love, and that you would do a work in their lives, whether they're unbelievers or believers. God, allow us to see the ways in which we are not showing hospitality. Show us ways, show me ways in which my attitude is causing more harm than good. God, wake us up to the important idea that presence is more important than perfection. Let us be present in people's lives. We ask that you would be with us the rest of this day. Open our hearts to things of you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.